So good to see all of you. And thank you to our team for leading us in worship this morning. Still bugged by these masks that you all have to wear, but I, I can see your eyes smiling, so I know there's some response back there. This is still better than standing here for five months in a row just looking at those cameras and, and not knowing if you're getting any reaction whatsoever. But I want to read a letter that was uh, given to a certain pastor. In December of 2002, I was diagnosed with stage 3 breast cancer. In August of 2003, after three surgeries, four toxic chemotherapies, and six weeks of radiation, I was declared in remission. In September of the next year, I com actually completed an Olympic distance triathlon. All that said, you can imagine it was quite a shock to discover on January 14th of the following year that I'd had a recurrence of metastatic breast cancer, this time in the lymph nodes along my esophagus. And according to my doctor, only 25% of women diagnosed at this stage survived longer than two years. Now, I've often said, Lord... Anytime you're ready to take me, I'm ready to go. Fateful words, hastily spoken. Now that dying is clearly a reality, it's no longer okay. I will be one of the 25% who survive. When I received the news, so many questions were running through my mind. Although I frequently experienced God at work in my life, under the tremendous weight of fear, I found myself looking for proof that he is real. I've also wondered how best to prepare the people we leave behind. If it weren't for leaving my son, going home to the Lord would be so much easier to accept. It wasn't until I feared dying that I found the passion and desire to live fully and completely in the will of God. Now, I don't know exactly what he has planned or how he'll use me, but after 45 years, I've come to the reality that nothing else matters. And she actually found that God had used her condition to open doors, and she was able to do ministry in ways that she never had before. Are you afraid to die? Like some of you would say, absolutely not. There's not the slightest hesitation. If I was to die today, I would be fine with that. I have full confidence in being with the Lord. Others of you might say, well, I'm not afraid of dying, but not exactly, but I, I'm, I'm still a little timid about it. Woody Allen said, I'm not afraid to die. I, I just don't want to be there when it happens. Easy way to avoid it. But many people are very much afraid to die, and the fear of death is still listed as one of the top three phobias that people encounter in their lives. So Christians talk a good game. We want to go to heaven, but the truth is we still have this fear of dying because death is mysterious. We haven't gone there. We don't know exactly what it's like. It's permanent. It's usually undignified. It's often painful. And it is counter to our instinct to live. And the Bible speaks about people being in actual lifetime bondage to fear of death. Billionaire Howard Hughes, he didn't write a will because he didn't want to talk about his mortality. John Madden, who was a 
quarterback in the NFL, and then he became and actually a broadcaster after that, he would drive in a train for three days instead of taking a four-hour flight because he was afraid of his own mortality. Other people, they will not want to talk about their death. They view every discomfort as cancer, every pain as a heart attack, but then they refuse to go to the doctor because they're afraid of what they might find out. So they just live with that fear. Others won't go to a funeral home or they won't go to a cemetery because it's a stark reminder of our mortality. Some won't even use the word death, but use terms like no longer with us or or passed along. But then some go to the opposite extreme and talk about death incessantly and keep reminding those around them that this could be my last Christmas. This could be the last coat I'm going to buy. My mother-in-law was a little bit like that. Everything was, this is the last car we'll buy. But a, a cardiologist said that one of his biggest deterrents to Christian faith was the fact that he treated a number of pastors and they had heart trouble, but he said they were obviously horrified of dying. So the fear of death undermines our witness. And it's not just our own death we fear. We live in fear of someone close to us dying and the terror of that. And as with most fears, the fear of death isn't altogether bad. The will to live is one of the strongest God-given instincts that we have. This innate fear keeps us from taking silly chances. It keeps us from abusing our bodies. And and sometimes it leads to holy living. And few Bible characters experienced this type of thing more than David did. He experienced death and was confronted, excuse me, he was confronted with death more frequently and more courageously than anyone else. When he was a teenager, David confronted the giant Goliath with no fear at all. This giant, he was nine feet tall. And David went before him. He wasn't dressed in any protective armor or anything. This Goliath had challenged the biggest and the meanest of the Israel army to come out and fight him in one-to-one combat. And then we read in 1 Samuel 17, 11, When Saul and the Israelites heard the Philistines' word, they were scared. And then later on it says they all ran from him in great fear. And yet David, a teenage boy, he goes up to King Saul and he says, I'll take him on, no problem. And then verse 37 he responds, The Lord who saved me from a lion and a bear will save me from this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and may the Lord be with you. Saul knows that this man is an experienced soldier. He's huge, and he's covered from head to toe with armor. But he let David go and said, the Lord be with you. And you know the story. David takes down this trash-talking giant, and just with a slingshot, he becomes an instant hero. He has no fear of death. And most of his confidence was faith in God, Some of it was the fact that he was so young that he didn't know he should be afraid. And young people think they're invincible. They can take any risk. They can try any drug. They will go any place and feel like they never have to worry about anything. They don't have to worry about death. It won't happen to them. 
And you know, when we look at how COVID keeps popping back up again with these small spreads here in our province, and it's a lot to do with younger people who have no fear of socializing with different groups every night of the week. And have you ever seen a teenager, excuse me, driving recklessly through traffic? And then there's this older man, really old man, and he's just putting along about 40 kilometers per hour, and he's holding up all the traffic. So don't you think that is just the opposite to the way it should be? Like this young guy, he's got a whole life in front of him. He should be driving slowly. And the older man, he should be in the Daytona 500. He has a few weeks, maybe a few years before the end of his life is over. David didn't fear death, even though the odds were against him. He was convinced that he was called to fight Goliath. And a few years later, David was close to death again. He had another close call. King Saul, he was so threatened by David's popularity that he became enraged with jealousy. And there were two different occasions when David was playing a harp in the palace choir and Saul threw a javelin at him. So those of you that are in our worship ministry, don't miss a note or anything. I might throw a javelin. But we know it was because of his jealousy. And both times David ducked and barely escaped with his life. Saul then sent some soldiers to David's house in order to arrest him. And David's wife, Michal, who was actually the daughter of Saul, she heard about this plan and she warned David and David was able to sneak out the back door and escape with his life. David told his friend Jonathan, your dad is trying to kill me. And Jonathan said, oh, he doesn't like the mess that you make around the house. No, that's not it. He, he said, he must not. There's no way that he wants to kill you. So in verse 3 of chapter 20, But David took an oath, saying, Your father knows very well you like me. He says to himself, Jonathan must not know about it, or he will tell David, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I am only a step away from death. So notice this time, David isn't nearly as confident as he was when he was fighting the giant Goliath. He wasn't so sure that he would be exempt from death, so he fled for his life. And one of the places he went to was Gath, and that was where the giant Goliath had actually grown up. And he figured now that he was an enemy of Saul, that the Philistines would accept him. But when he gets there, they're not comfortable with this guy at all. And the soldiers said to Achish, their king, this David is dangerous. He's the one that they sing about in their dances. Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his tens of thousands. So in verse 12 of chapter 21, David paid attention to these words and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. So he pretended to be crazy in front of Achish and his servants. And when he, while he was with them, he acted like a madman and clawed on the doors of the gate and let spit run down his beard. So when his life was on the line, David was afraid and he went to extreme measures and he tried to act as if he was insane in order to survive. 
and the king dismissed him as crazy. But for the next 10 years, David would live as a fugitive with a price tag on his head, constantly in fear of the fact that someone was going to kill him. Then in chapter 23, verse 16, But Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horesh and strengthened his faith in God. And Jonathan told him, Don't be afraid, because my father won't touch you. You will be king of Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. So it's no wonder that dozens of the Psalms written by David talk about this aspect of the fear of death. And it talks about trusting in the providential care of God and experiencing the terror in our lives, but being able to trust in God to take that away. So I just want to read some of these psalms, and we're going to see how he actually vacillates back and forth between faith and fear. He will have confidence in God's providential care at one moment, and then the next moment he is terrified at the possibility of dying, just as we do. So chapter uh, Psalm 9.13, Lord, have mercy on me. See how my enemies torment me. Snatch me back from the jaws of death. And then the 18th Psalm, the grave wrapped its ropes around me. Death laid a trap in my path. But in my distress, I cried out to the Lord. Yes, I prayed to my God for help. He heard me from his sanctuary. My cry to him reached his ears. So that's good. Then the 23rd Psalm. Even if I walk through a dark valley, I will not be afraid, because you are with me. Your rod and your shepherd's staff comfort me. But then in the 55th Psalm, my heart pounds in my chest. The terror of death assaults me. Fear and trembling overwhelm me, and I can't stop shaking. Oh, that I had wings like a dove. Then I would fly away and rest. But David did survive, and he actually reigned for 40 years, and he died as an old man. And on his deathbed, he made some final preparations. He put his son Solomon in his place as the king. He gave Solomon some advice on how to follow God faithfully, some advice on how to deal with certain situations. And then David's last words were, Is not my house right with God? Has he not made with me an everlasting covenant, arranged and secured in every part? Will he not bring to fruition my salvation and grant me, me my every desire? And then David died, and he was buried with his ancestors. So there are four lessons that we can learn from David's experience that should help us to overcome the fear of death. And first of all, David tells us that death is inevitable and make sure you have prepared for it. David didn't just pretend he was invincible. He confronted the reality of death and when it came, he was ready. I read about a Christian couple who were taking care of this older widow by the name of Bernice. And Bernice was a fine Christian woman, but she had no family and she was wanting to stay in her own home. And this couple were looking after her faithfully. But finally, and she said, I want to die in my home. And she was trying so hard, 
But finally, she became so feeble that she admitted she couldn't care for herself anymore and she was going to have to go into a home. So this couple worked hard to find a place for her to stay. They finally found one, made the reservation. They came, the husband loaded up all of Bernice's belongings in a truck. And then she got in the car with the wife and they drove to this nursing home. And just as they arrived, the woman looked over at Bernice and Bernice was dead. She had died on the way to that nursing home. And isn't that great? Isn't that the way to die? That, that's perfect timing. She never had to go through living in that home. Now most of us, we can't plan it that perfectly. But planning for our death can eliminate fear. And, and get this, you've got to remember this. We always hear statistics. One out of every one person dies. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Like, everybody's going to die. One out of every one person dies. And not talking about it or denying its reality doesn't eliminate the fear. You are going to die someday, so be prepared for it. And the most important thing you can do is receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. But one of the reasons we fear death is that we're terrified of God's judgment. We know that the Bible says that God has appointed a day when he will judge the world, that we will die once and then face that judgment. We know that we're going to have a serious debriefing with the creator of the universe. And then we start thinking about some of the things we've done in our lives and we're afraid about having that debriefing. We know that there are some sins and we're afraid and we're terrified that we're going to spend eternity in hell paying the price for those. Acts 24 talks about Governor Felix and he listened to Paul preach about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. And Felix was afraid and he said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will summon you back in here again. So like Felix, we fear the thought of standing before God on Judgment Day. But the cure for that fear isn't to refuse to think about it, but it's to repent of sin and accept the amazing gift of love and forgiveness and grace through Jesus Christ. See, the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So we fight fire with fire, and God fought death with death. And the reason that Christ died was to pay the price for our sins. Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. So when you put your trust in Jesus Christ and you are baptized into him, you receive that promised forgiveness of your sins. And you're promised that when you stand before God, you won't be condemned. You'll have the promise of eternal life. Romans 6, For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory as power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. So once we become a Christian, we don't fear death 
as much because we've already died. We died to sin. We were buried with Christ and then risen to walk a new life. So if you're terrified of dying, accept Christ and trust the promise that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all our unrighteousness. Now, it would be horrifying to jump out of a plane without a parachute. It's still probably pretty terrifying to jump out of one with a parachute. But death without Christ is terrifying. But when you have the assurance of a safe landing, then it loses a lot of its terror. The Apostle Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives its power. It can also be helpful to make physical as well as spiritual preparation. Purchase life insurance. That's important to do. Make a will. That's not just for older people. It's for younger people as well, especially those with children. They have the most at stake. Some find it helpful to prearrange their funeral and talk over with their family and let them know this doesn't mean I have plans for right now, but it's just that I want to talk to you and I want you to know what to do. The next lesson is accept the fact that fear is normal, even if you're a Christian. David wrote, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. David had a strong faith in God, yet he was afraid at times. He also wrote, my heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death overwhelm me. So some of the strongest believers have a degree of fear about death, and that's normal. The will to live is a strong instinct. We've never experienced death, so it's unknown. We worry that it might be a painful experience. We hate to leave all those other people behind. Most of us struggle with some doubt. And Satan attacks us just as he did Jesus. And even as Jesus felt the pressure of death, he prayed, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. So one of the best things that we can do as Christians is read and memorize the promises of Scripture. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. After you repeat these Scriptures, remind yourself that the one who made that promise never made a promise that he didn't keep including the one to conquer the grave. Your hope isn't in your goodness, but it's in His power and His grace. And tell Him that you are going to put your total trust in Him. But understand that a little bit of fear is normal, even for Christians. And then be confident that God will supply the strength when the time comes. When the time came for David to die, he, he faced it and was ready to go because he knew the Lord. And, and I like God's promises in 1 Corinthians 10. The only temptation that has come to you is that which everyone has, but you can trust God, who will not permit you to be tempted more than you can stand. But when you are tempted, he will also give you a way to escape, so that you will be able to stand it. Whenever you take a child or your grandchild to a sporting event, let's say a Halifax Mooseheads hockey game, 
you don't give them their ticket. You keep it in your pocket. But when you get to the gate, you pull out that ticket. There's no concern for them. And then they are allowed into the game. God does that with people. He's got strength in reserve. And when the pressure's on, He grants us the Holy Spirit as a boost to us. And then suddenly we have more strength than we ever imagined. And death is the last enemy to be defeated. But it will be defeated. And in all my years of ministry, I've realized this repeatedly. Christian people have added strength when they've been informed that they have a terminal illness or when they have no human hope. They may weep. They may be sad. But that's okay, and it's not long before they're comforting the ones that are coming to comfort them. I've mentioned this before about my cousin Della. She was 39 years of age when she died. It was initially Hodgkin's disease, then became skin cancer, where she was treated with cobalt. This was back in the early 70s. And then she developed breast cancer, which then grew to take her life. But Everybody wanted to go visit her in the hospital. Pastors were lining up to go in and visit Della because they committed there, feeling so encouraged. Finally, they just had to cut off the visitors. But people heard her say things like, It's okay, I'm ready, and God is lifting me up. See, God doesn't want you to live your life in fear of what Satan can do to you. He hasn't given us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of love and power and self-discipline. And the closer that you get to Christ, the less you will fear death, and the more confident that our God you'll be, that our God will supply every need according to His riches in Jesus Christ. And then increasingly set your focus on the temporal excuse me, on the eternal and less on the temporal. The Bible says to set your affections on the things that are above. And David said in the 141st Psalm, I look to you for help, O sovereign Lord. You are my refuge. Don't let them kill me. If you were to receive a free vacation to Hawaii, you'd be excited to go, even if you weren't comfortable with flying. You would look at brochures. You would talk to people that had been in Hawaii. You would watch videos to help you understand what the country is like or the islands are like. And then you wouldn't worry too much about that flight, which is probably 15 to 20 hours long. 2 Corinthians 4, So we do not give up. Our physical body is becoming older and weaker, but our spirit inside us is made new every day. We have small troubles for a while now, but they are helping us gain an eternal glory that is much greater than the troubles. We set our eyes not on what we see, but on what we cannot see. What we see will last only a short time, but what we cannot see will last forever. And the Bible doesn't give us a lot of detail about what heaven is like, but we know that we look eagerly toward it. We can speculate. We can anticipate. The Bible teaches us that when we die, we go into the presence of God. And the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Jesus told the dying thief on the cross, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. In John 14, Jesus said, 
Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust in me. There are many rooms in my Father's house. I would not tell you this if it were not true. I am going there to prepare a place for you. After I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. So that Father's house is going to have some exciting things to see and do. God is going to wipe all the tears away. There will be no pain. There will be no sorrow. We'll have these eternal bodies to enjoy. And I understand the Bible to teach that we'll have the opportunity to learn and to grow more that the gates of the new Jerusalem will be open and we'll be able to go out and examine the new heaven and the new earth. But mostly, the key thing is going to be relationships in heaven. God will be there. Jesus will be there. All the Old Testament patriarchs will be there. The apostles will be there. Just imagine being able to talk to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Just tell us about those experiences that we've read about and the ones that weren't even included in God's Word. Our loved ones and our friends that died in the Lord will be there and we can renew our relationship with them. Have you ever gone down to the dockyard when one of our Navy ships is returning home after a long deployment at sea? And you'll see a lot of people there, they're kind of dressed up a little bit. You see husbands and wives, little kids are excited. They're holding up a banner, welcome home, daddy. And there's always someone that's about to meet his child for the first time. And then you'll see parents, grandparents kind of standing off to the side a little bit, but they're grinning and they're, they're grateful. And then when those sailors come down that gangplank, everybody rushes together and they jump into one another's arms and they embrace and they kiss and they're wiping back tears. And I just bet the residents in heaven have an arrival schedule. And they know when their loved ones are going to arrive. They know the exact day and time when that check-in will take place. And when the Lord Jesus welcomes you, he'll open the gate and you'll come running to greet him. Psalm 46. God is our protection and our strength. He always helps in times of trouble. So we will not be afraid even if the earth shakes or the mountains fall into the sea. So the longer you struggle with with some of the problems of earth, the more you think about heaven and begin to long to be there. And the Apostle Paul said, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. Now I've had elderly people say to me, I'm ready to go, and I hope it's soon. Back when my grandson Seth was three, he stayed with us for a long weekend while his mom and dad went away. And we were having a great time. We even survived a nosebleed that he had. And I was a great grandpa. He was sitting in my lap and I was catching the blood in my hand and just calmly saying, you know, Seth, it's okay. You're going to be all right. And he stopped crying. But then he and I had to go to Shoppers Drug Mart to pick up some items. And he starts looking at everything. He wants this. He wants that. And he was overwhelming me. He's talking so fast with all the reasons why he needed that $10 item. We came out of there without anything for him. But then when we come in the door of our house, he cries and he runs up to his room. So after a few minutes, I went up to see what was going on. And he said, I think I want to go home now. 
And, you know, when life deals us momentary troubles, do you sometimes groan longing to be clothed with your heavenly dwelling? Do you ever start thinking about your parents and, and grandparents and siblings and loved ones and your heavenly Father, and you say, well, I'm about ready to go home now. The more we focus on heaven, the less we fear going there. While we look at this topic, what I want you to do is to make certain that you are ready for when that day comes. And since we don't know when it's going to be, the wisest thing is to be prepared. And if you need some help with those preparations, if you need some help with making decisions in your life in regards to making Christ your Lord and Savior, we're here to help you with that. 